Well, good morning. Some, I guess it was about eight years ago, a young man named Joe Gascoigne came to intern with us for a year from England. And it's hard to believe it could be that long. Uh, but as about seven years ago, we were invited to speak at a conference event in the UK. And uh, Joe came to us and he said, hey, you're speaking at this event. Steve Upple is speaking at this event. When you two meet, something's going to happen. He predicted that there was a meaningful relationship that God had purposed to be in the works before we even had ever connected. This event lasts for multiple days, and over the course of several days, I finally bumped in to Stephen Esther Upple, and um, God just knit our hearts together. Our families have become family together over the course of time now, and back and forth ministry connections being made there and here. Um, this past year, we inducted the Upples as external elders to the house. They are no stranger to the place. We are so thankful to have you here. And I'd like to invite, if you would please come. Come on, let's give it up. A Destiny family welcome to the Upples and what they carry. Just been an incredible, incredible weekend so far. to be here with you. We've had a fantastic weekend. We're so excited for what God is doing with this church family and it's just amazing to be with you today and to feel that sense of family and you know in God's presence together. And I just wanted to encourage you just as we were worshipping then I was reminded of something that happened with our children uh, quite a few years ago now. Judah who is our youngest, um, he's definitely the loudest he sings, he, he talks when he's not supposed to be talking, he fills every gap, every space, he's just full on and full of life. And some years ago, we found ourselves saying to him, Judah, shush, Judah, be quiet, Judah, let somebody else talk. And we were constantly uh, doing this for a season. And I remember talking with a lady, and um, I just shared it in passing, oh, Judah's so loud, we're constantly telling him to shush, you know, be quiet. And she took me back because she looked at me and she said, oh, she said, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. Don't make him be quiet. Don't shush him up. And I felt really challenged in that moment. And it was a really um, uh, important time. I went back, I remember sitting with Judah and with the whole family and apologizing to Judah for telling him to be quiet so much. And I realized in that moment that he has a voice and he has a sound and he has a purpose. And I'm so grateful for that lady speaking into my life um, at that time. And he, even to this day, he's like full of, he, he calls for praise and worship Judah. You know, he's to roar and he's got something within him. Even back home this morning, he's been in our worship teams. But I just was reminded of that. I haven't been thinking about it at all, but I just feel that maybe there are people in the room that because of life and circumstances, life has told you to shush, to sit down, to be quiet, let somebody else go. And maybe even as a church, the church has been told, just be quiet, you know, just be acceptable. Don't go above the normal. And I feel the Holy Spirit saying today, it's time for your sound to be heard. As individuals and as a church family as well. And just Isaiah 60, it says, arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness is over the peoples, thick darkness over the people groups, 
but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. And I just want to encourage you, it's your time to shine. It's your time to rise up. And I do think that that is for individuals in the room that have felt so, um, I so agreed with that word in the transition then about the leash coming off. You know, it's time to be completely free. You know, we think we're free, and then there's, there's certain things that tug on us, but God's saying, no, now is the time to be free, and now is the time for your voice to be heard, so it's time to arise and shine. Mm. Very good. Next Sunday, we celebrate 23 years of being married, so I'm pretty excited for that. She's stayed with me for 23 years. That's a miracle. Uh, four children, well, told we have five. I have to always say five because Beth, our oldest, is married. And you're probably aware, you're very own Pastor Lawrence. Uh, last year, just flew out for the weekend to officiate the wedding. I remember Beth asking me, she said, do you think if I ask Pastor Lawrence, he'll come and officiate the wedding? I said, I'm sure he would. Uh, and then we realized that dates were already set. There were going to be a whole family, the Neesons, who were in the UK just like two weeks earlier uh, for a trip, and there was stuff already scheduled. So to come back two weekends later was a challenge, but I'm so grateful you did that and you were with us and served our family so well, and you're part of the family. So um, it was a really, really special day. And so because of that, we have uh, five children, not four. Um, uh, happy to be here with you. I've enjoyed the last couple of days, expectant for this morning. Uh, I'll give you a tiny bit of an introduction. Um, uh, just also wanting to acknowledge, you may or may not know this, but um, uh, Pastor Lawrence is also part of uh, an apostolic team with myself that oversees our All Nations Apostolic family. And so that's uh, kind of embryonic, but really picking up a speed and accelerating. Uh, we officially welcomed in about 22 churches in the UK. There's probably another 15 to 20 that are on the journey with us in the UK that are part of our family. Uh, so two, three weeks ago, we welcomed them officially. They've been part of the family for a while, but people were asking, hey, are we going to define this? Are we going to have an official you're in? And I'm so relational, I didn't want to make it formal, uh, but we did do. And, uh, and then part of this trip is coming over here to explore what God might be doing in the U.S. in terms of that family of what God is asking us to do, spreading here and beyond. Uh, and then there's about 15 churches in uh, India as well, just a growing work of what God's doing. And our heart is to see the, right the way across the world just this spread of a revival contending family that believes in the local church, but is believing God for a move of God, is discipling and empowering people. Um, but yeah, I think the, the biggest word for me, two words would be revival and family. Maybe a revival family that God puts together. So I'm massively thankful for Pastor Lawrence being on that team, appreciate his input. And I know later today, and maybe tomorrow, we're spending some time thinking that through. What does that look like? What is God saying to us? You know, I firmly believe everybody sees in part and knows in part. And so I know I have a part to play, but I'm very aware I need other people's voices, other people's strengths to help input into what God is doing for it to become what it should be. Uh, it, it's not one person who's tremendously gifted and then we center the ministry around them. It's actually God raises up fathers and mothers 
but even they need sons and daughters, aunts and uncles, people around them that can help fulfill what God wants to do. And so I know you have an emphasis here on family, you value family, natural family, church family. The kingdom of God really is one of the best analogies, metaphors. It's not just even a metaphor, it is a reality is that we are family. And understanding that and functioning as family is deeply important to what God has called us to do. I'm still on a journey of that because I've been raised in institutionalized church. You do it this way, the program runs this way, this is how the organization functions, and according to the law of the land, you're a non-profit. I mean, this, this whole stuff, and in the midst of it, we're the church of Jesus Christ. And so I saying, Lord, help us. We function within the laws of the land. We know that there's good governance and good stewardship. We understand that. But help us not to lose the essence of who we are. And so we're still on that journey. I think you're on that journey. We're on that journey. And we're kind of knitting our hearts together, saying, Lord, help us. And uh, I, I believe uh, Lawrence brings something into the mix that I lack and I really appreciate. His thinking, his perception on stuff. How many know your pastor just thinks a little bit different? <laughs> In a good way. <laughs> and so I massively value that. I have to deal with jealousy in my own heart. Uh, in, his, in his wordsmith ability. I, I can't even remember any of them now. but Because I'm like, I'm so wowed by them. I'm going to quickly write them down. You know, um... Uh, affirmation addiction. I thought that's a really good way of saying what's happening in church. Or there's so much that he, he does. So I love that input into my life and into what we're building. And uh, thank you for praying for us, praying for him, and just being a part of this embryonic journey. Father, as I speak your word this morning, would you speak to us and help us to hear what you are saying to Destiny Church uh, today? In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to imagine that you're one of the disciples and that Jesus is physically present with you. Go back 2,000 years ago, you're in the band of 12, even though it wasn't just the 12 that traveled together, there were often others, uh, a part of that crowd. I don't know how big, 12 were always there, but there was others that were kind of clinging into that group and they were part of that family. Uh, and so I want you to imagine, uh, for example, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. They've done this day's ministry, come home, and they're going to eat food there. And she's got a fever, and Jesus touches her, uh, which you wouldn't do today, would you? Coronavirus, and like, you just stay away, use the antibacterial wipes. And, well, Jesus just walks up to her, touches her, heals her. She gets up totally well and helps kind of just administer food for all of those that have just come into the house. You imagine another day, there's 5,000 people that have been listening to the ministry. They've been with you three days. It's so engaging and it's so riveting. They're caught up in the words of Christ. And now the disciples are very aware these people have not been eating uh, natural food. They're just so caught up in the teaching of Jesus, in the miracles he does. And so they say to Jesus, send them away because they need to go eat. Close this conference down. People need to go have food. And Jesus said, no. How about you feed them? I mean, it's like 5,000 people, no food around. And so they do a little search. There's a boy who's got some food. 
It's enough for one boy's pack lunch. Jesus says, bring it to me, prays over it, and it multiplies and 5,000 people are fed. Imagine you are one of those disciples. A healing needed, food needed, when taxes needed to be paid, Jesus' response to Peter was, go fish. And he went fishing. I'm like, I like that. I don't fish, but if I did, and, and there was a problem, and Jesus said, go fishing. You're like, I'll do that one, Lord. And the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and inside will be enough money to pay your tax and my tax. That's pretty outstanding. And Peter does it. There's a coin in this gold coin or whatever it is, and there's enough money to pay the temple tax for Jesus and for Peter. Or you imagine being around the Pharisees that were kind of uh, 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 organizing how to kill Jesus, scheming. How can we kill him? See, you're around these religious leaders who are very, very powerful. They're not like religious leaders today. I mean, they controlled everything that happened in the community. If they made you an outcast, you were an outcast. They had the ability to target people and even have them killed. And, and they're trying to do this with Jesus. So you're one of his disciples. You feel the fear. But because Jesus is there, every time he's there, the hope is there. He always has an answer. Sometimes they try and grab him and he just walks through the crowd and nobody can touch him. I often imagine, what did the Lord do? Did everybody just freeze? I mean, you've read that in the Gospels. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw him off a hill. And it says he walked straight through the crowd and nobody could touch him. I mean, what kind of secret power was that? Did he just say, freeze? And everybody froze and he walked through the crowd with the disciples and nobody can touch him because his time had not yet come. You imagine being one of those disciples with Jesus, that present with you. On some days, they needed to know, which way are we going? What are we doing today? And he would say, they're, they're in the middle of a revival. And he would say, we're not going to go back to that town. I've been speaking to the Father all night. And we're going to go over here. And we're going to come this way. So when direction was needed, what do I do with my life? Which way do I go? Jesus always had the answer. So whether it was the miraculous, whether it was provision, whether it was direction for their lives, whether it was hope in hopeless situations, Jesus and his presence always met what they needed. I mean, you picture that as an individual, being a part of that crowd. It was the in crowd. There was persecution. There was people, were people that were saying things that they shouldn't be saying and accusing him. But when you were around him, the hope and the joy and the life, the sense of the Father's blessing, the crowds were attracted. There was no lack. And then in John 14, Jesus is now going to prepare his disciples because he's leaving. I mean, this is a, it's going to be a difficult moment. After three and a half years of living right side by side, Tell them, I'm about to go. I'm going to leave. But he's got, a, he's got a surprise up his sleeve. And really, this is the message for us today. That surprise impacts us today. So John 14, verses 15 to 19. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. And the original Greek would be paraclete, parakletos. Another one just like me. So if you've been raised in church right now, you need to turn off your, I already know that, brain. 
and you need to hear this as though it's brand new. So I just painted a picture of what it would be like to have Jesus walking with you. Direction, provision, hope, miraculous, protection, peace. That Jesus said, I'm about to leave, but I'm going to ask the Heavenly Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you. Listen to this word, forever. I mean, this is absolutely loaded. There's going to be another one coming who is just like I am. He's not a copy of me. He's not just a power or a force or a wind or an invisible person that doesn't really do a lot. And theologically, we understand him. No, he's just like me. And he will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus was with them, but he wasn't in them. And now a new dispensation was about to come. He said, yes, he'll be with you, but not only will he be with you, but he will be in you, not for three and a half years, but forever. And he's one just like me. I mean, that's worth jumping up, running around the church and thinking, okay, Give me understanding of that. The problem is we've been raised in church our whole life and we think we have a theology of the Holy Spirit, but we don't have a practice of the Holy Spirit. We don't have the reality of who He is. We, we do to a dimension, so I'm not, I'm not uh, criticizing. I'm just saying there is so much more than we realize. And he says, you know Him, for He lives with you. He'll be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but, I, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. Just, just say, wow. Wow. You go down a, a few more verses into verse 26 of chapter 14. It says, the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And he will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why? Because when he was with them, they were not troubled and they were not afraid. He said, I'm going to send you another one just like me. And don't be afraid, don't be troubled. The world can't see him, but you will see him, you'll know him. You'll be intimate with him. He'll be with you. He'll be in you forever. The spirit of truth, the advocate, the helper, the teacher, the counselor, the miracle worker, the one who brings gifts with him, fruit with him. He's going to be your best friend. He's going to be the one you depend upon. And so for the last few months, I've been on this massive provocation from the Lord. He's provoking me. To, I, I was eight years old when somebody laid hands on me and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Spoke in tongues straight away. Uh, I've laid hands on people and seen them healed. I mean, recently. 
I've laid hands on people and seen them delivered in the last few weeks. Like they've got demon problems and they're manifesting. I don't know what you do with that here in Oklahoma. Um, as a believer in Jesus, I just put my arm around this person. He, they were in my office, this man who said he's been tormented, put my arm around him, prayed with him, and he was instantly set free. I remember last year being in India, and a lady tells me that she's been worshipping. She's an older lady in her 60s. Her whole family has been worshipping at a shrine for years, at a, at a serpent snake shrine. Is, that, is this too weird? And, uh, uh, and this spirit would come on her, and she behaves like a snake. I mean, weird stuff going on. I won't go into detail. And she says she's now committed her life to Christ and wants to be free, but she's still struggling. So I do a tiny bit of teaching about the life of Christ in her, that the enemy has no... And then I simply sit with her. And, and for me, when I pray for somebody to be delivered, what I feel is deep compassion for them. I don't raise my voice, I don't shout. I normally wrap my arms around them. And I'll just say, you're free. In Jesus' name, I command that spirit. I bind it and command it to leave now. And she was instantly set free. I've seen that again and again. I was in Turkey last year, uh, praying for a gentleman... Um, He's manifesting, I mean, weird stuff with his body is happening. They've taken him into an office in the back. I'm not even there. I'm in a hotel. I've been preaching all morning. And they ring me saying, you've got to come back here. There's somebody manifesting. We're waiting for you. I'm like, I just want to have my lunch and have a nap. <laughs> and so there's a little bit of like the, the humanness of me. Is I wonder what he's doing in that room. There's three or four of them in there trying to control him. And so it is a little bit weird. But I walk into that room and he's like, you know, doing all kinds of weird stuff. His eyes are doing weird things and uh, uh, I'm just me. I don't put on a religious front or anything. I just walk up. I put my arm around him. You know, the, the, the compassion of God and the love of God is irresistible and the enemy hates it. You know, I know some people want to do the in Jesus' name. I'm like, you know, I don't. And raise their voice and I just, I've realized many years ago, if you love people, the enemy finds that power irresistible. And uh, it took us about 30, 40 minutes, three or four of us, because we had to have words and knowledge of what opened the door here. And the Lord showed us stuff that happened in the childhood, stuff that he had then got involved in the abuse he went through. He became an abuser, led him through repentance and renouncing all of that, and then to see uh, totally set free. And later that evening as we're worshiping, his face just lit up in worship and joy before the Lord. And I'm like, wow, how amazing is that? So I say all of that to say, I know the Holy Spirit's in me. And I see some manifestations of it. But over the last few months, I have been tremendously provoked that I am not walking in the fullness of what Jesus is saying in John 14. It's not good enough just to have a bit of a theology and a, I speak in tongues and when needed I can manifest the power of God. He's saying, no, there is far more available than you realize. And I've come today to say to you that Jesus promised the advocate, the helper, the counselor, one just like him, and he's here right now. Theologically, in truth, the Father is sat in heaven on a throne. Jesus is sat on a throne by the Father at his right hand. So how is God here with us today? He is here with us today by the presence and the reality of the Holy Spirit. So knowing the Holy Spirit, walking with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit is essential to living the Christian life. 
I, I'm really not trying to be provocative in any way. I'm just saying I read my Bible and the Lord is provoking me what I read about in the book of Acts that should be happening in my life. So the promise is I'm going to send you this person who's just like me. And then in Acts 1, we just go to verses 4 and 5. On one occasion while he was eating with them, I love the way Jesus just did life and ministry. That this, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, everything was done in the temple. In the New Testament, nearly everything was done around the table. Somebody say amen. amen. You like your food? Yeah, okay. So, uh, one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He said, don't go out, don't start preaching, don't obey the Great Commission, wait. Wait until the gift my father has promised comes. And you know what they did. They locked themselves up in the upper room for 10 days with prayer and fasting. Not just the disciples, 120 people crying out to God. You said you were going to give us the gift. We're waiting. We're praying. We're longing. We're asking. 10 days of prayer and fasting. And all of a sudden, Acts 2 happens. And there is this mighty rushing wind that comes through the room. And they are filled with the power of God, the life of God. The very spirit of God comes into them. This is crazy. It's, it's almost unbelievable. Humans that are capable of such brokenness and such sin, that because of what Christ did on the cross and he cleansed us by his blood, can now have the righteous, holy God living inside what Paul says, these jars of clay, these broken vessels. In Colossians 1.27, Paul puts it this way. He said there was a mystery. I'll read it to you. Colossians 1, um, 26 and maybe 27 as well. It's, it's just so, it, it is the revolutionary part of the gospel. Uh, verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Jesus foretold it in John 14, told them to wait for it in Acts 1, wait for him. And then in Colossians 1, Paul is Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. In Colossians 1, Paul is explaining what happened. He said it was a mystery. It was hidden. It surprises everybody. Nobody foresaw what was about to happen. And he says, what was it? What was about to happen? What took place? He said, it's the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. We've already said Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So how is he in us? He's in us by his Spirit. The Spirit of Christ. Act 16, when the disciples were figuring out which way to go, Paul actually says, or Luke writes it, that the Spirit of Jesus would not let us enter Bithynia. So sometimes the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. He now lives in us. I want you to think about that. Just take a moment. As broken as we are, 
as flawed as we are, with all that we've done wrong in our lives and in our past, because of what Christ has done on the cross, paid our price, we've spoken and sung about his blood today. He washed us, cleansed us, and reconciled us in relationship to God. Now the very Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. And you can do, Jesus said in John 14, not only will you do the works that I do, but greater works than these will you do because I go to my Father. What did he mean, I'll go to my Father? I'll go to my Father, you're going to be reconciled, and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will not only be with you, but he will be in you. And he's really saying, you're going to do what I did. And greater works than these will you do. This is, this is mind-boggling, blowing. It's just like, really? I'm a carrier of the presence and the life of Christ? Yes. This is yours. It's available for you today. And I'm, I'm, I'm really, the invitation is stop living just a mere human existence. And start living as though you're a human in whom the divine now has taken up residence. God lives in you. God will equip you. God will give you direction. The Holy Spirit in you will help you do the miraculous. You can have his life flowing through you. Some of my heroes in history, uh, one of them that I've lived in some of his teaching recently is John G. Lake. John G. Lake got a hold of Romans 8 and Colossians 3. I wish I had time just to open up those to you, and I'm living in them, and there's still more revelation there. Setting your mind on what the Spirit desires. He got a revelation of the life of Christ in him, and so pursued this revelation. Really? Jesus lives in me? I can do the works that Jesus did? The Holy Spirit is inside of me? Divine life is flowing through me? The God who created the universe now lives inside of me? That revelation and that fellowship with the Holy Spirit came to such a degree in his life that there was a whole season in his life, if anybody touched him, they would be instantly healed. Imagine that. You, you are so full of divine life, somebody touches you and healing flows into their body. I, I'm not making that up. There was a time they had the bubonic plague in South Africa. John G. Lake was from Canada, then lived in Chicago, and then God called him to the mission field, ended up going out to South Africa for five years as a missionary. In five years, he planted 1,250 churches. Somebody said, that's crazy. Five years, <clears throat> no training, no Bible college. And when you ask him how he did it, he said it was just the work of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit. One church that he led for a short time, he raised up 120 church planters and sent them. That was in that five-year period. And here we are, stressing and straining of how we'll do it, what we'll do. I'm like, when you realize the life of Christ in you, anything is possible. During part of his time in South Africa, the bubonic plague broke out. Tens of thousands of people were killed. The British sent a medical ship out to South Africa to try and help them. John G. Lake and his team were both praying for people and they were being healed. But they were also helping the dead to be buried because so many were dying. And this medical doctor said, how is it that you've worked amongst these people, but you've not got sick, and your people don't get sick? He said, let me show you. And they had a body on the ship of somebody who died, and uh, he, he went over, and he, uh, they got them to get the foam out of their mouth, had them been foaming, and put it in a Petri dish, put it under a microscope, and uh, they looked at it, and it's just teeming and multiplying this, this, this disease. And John G. Lake says, now watch this, and reaches out and puts his hand inside the Petri dish. 
which is like, mate, yeah, don't really want to do that. And then he says to the doctor, now look. And the doctor looks at the Petri dish and all of the bacteria are dead. And he said, it's simply the life of Christ in me. Any disease that touches me has to die. Somebody say something. <laughs> uh, like I want to settle for a nice domesticated Christian faith. Come to church on Sunday. Try and be good. And don't forget to give an offering. Bring a friend. And the Lord is saying, you don't realize you were created to turn the world upside down. You were created for more than just being a human existence that acknowledges God. No, God now lives inside of you. I know Oklahoma today, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, the churches are filled, but very few people have a revelation of Christ in them, the hope of glory. Paul said in Romans 8, 11, if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, which he does, then that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body, quicken your mortal body, impulse, life, strength, hope will flow into you. When you read through the book of Acts, and I'm, if I was going to give you homework, I would say in this coming week, read the book of Acts out loud. Because when you read it out loud, you both see it, you speak it, you hear it, it does something inside of you. I've read it a few times recently in the last few weeks and just, I'm rereading it again now and I'm just saying, Lord, I want this in my life. I, I may not be the, uh, the, you know, the cleverest person in the room, uh, but I want to be provoked by this and realize the power that is mine in Christ and to walk in it. So Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. I could give you some examples of Holy Spirit living from the book of Acts. I've just given you some from John G. Lake's life. So let me try and move us to what, how do we get this? What do we do? Uh, how do we land this? Uh, how, uh, what's our response to this? In John chapter 7, uh, verse 37, Jesus said on the final day of the feast, he stood up and in a loud voice, he said, if anybody is thirsty... Let them come to me and drink, and I will give them water to drink of, and it'll come up in them a spring of living water. In John 4, he said it to the lady at the well. If you knew who was speaking to you, you'd ask him for a drink. He'll give you eternal water to drink, and it'll become a spring, a living well inside of you. In John 7, at the last, uh, on the last day of the feast, he says something very similar, stood up, and if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And then he goes and says, he's actually speaking about the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. The Holy Spirit is coming. You drink. Jesus gives you this living water who's a person, and he becomes a well inside of you. So there's four things that I would say that you've, this is, this is the application of this. The first one is really simple. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What Jesus said in Acts 1 applies to us today. As I read through the book of Acts, I see the apostles, because there's a debate that goes on, oh, didn't I receive the Holy Spirit when I became a follower of Christ? And I see in the book of Acts, there are times that they get somewhere in the teaching and they, they're followers of Christ. And they say, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we have not even heard of the Holy Spirit. And then the apostles lay hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And so I think there is a distinct experience of being baptized in the Spirit that is different 
to the experience of regeneration or new birth of accepting Christ. I've seen that in the book of Acts a few times where they lay hands on people who are already followers of Christ, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. I, I would add this, though. Even though I was filled with the Holy Spirit at eight years old, I thought and I was taught, that's it, you've got it now. You speak in tongues, just go be a good boy. What I read in Acts 2, 3, and 4 is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit again and again. They were filled once, they were filled again. In fact, Paul taught the Ephesus church in Ephesians 5.18. He said, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm told in the Greek, it's a continuous tense, be being filled with the Spirit. It's a sense of you can always continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this morning you could get up, you could just be standing there and say, Lord, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit again? I just want to be filled all over again. I want you. you if, it's, if you want to drink, drink as much as you like of him. Paul is saying, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled. Drink of the Holy Spirit. Don't say, that was at a conference. It was when I was younger. It's a one-time experience. No, Christians should live drunk on the Holy Spirit inebriated is it just like i am just full of him and he's saturating me paul commanded it be filled be being filled with the spirit I, I i'm on that journey i'm asking the lord every day i'll just sit down on an airplane in a hotel uh, traveling in a car and i'll just say holy spirit just fill me afresh again i don't want to live in my own strength take a hold of this body flow through my veins Take a hold of my mind. Help me to think like you think. So first thing is be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll pray in a moment for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then the second one is, if you want to grow in this life, reorder your life to make Holy Spirit choices every day. What does that mean? It, it means, just a little play on words here, the Holy Spirit's first name is Holy. I know that's probably not true, but... In terms of it's holy, he's holy. So if I choose to cheat, whether it's claiming expenses, my tax return, telling a little bit of a white lie, uh, I'm actually not behaving in a way that honors the Holy Spirit. I'm going to diminish his life and experience inside of me. He expects me to reorder my life to be a holy life. If I'm sharp with my tongue... Now that I'm filled with the Spirit, I want to reorder that to say, I'm, I'm not going to say, well, my dad was angry, my granddad was angry, I'm angry. I'm just like a little bit fiery, like the, like the it just runs in the family. No, when I accept, accepted Christ and got filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm now a child of God, and I have the traits of the Father running through me. I have the Holy Spirit. I don't have to behave like my dad or like, like my relatives did or because I was abused or because... No, it all changes because you're a brand new creation in Christ now. So rather than hiding behind what happened, you say, okay, I'll take on the new nature that's mine in Christ. It's a supernatural work. It's not that you can do it in your own strength, but you say, in rather than making excuses, I'm going to reorder my life to be a holy life. I think it impacts what we watch. It impacts how we talk. It impacts the purity of our sexuality. It's reorientating our life to walk in the light because he is light. It's a, it's a really powerful piece to walk in the life of the Spirit. And uh, 
Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's really important. This, this, I'll tell you how the Lord works with me. I, I, I can barely watch any television anymore. I feel like the longer I walk with Jesus, the narrower the path becomes. And all he's saying is, hey, you're going to keep your mind clean. That violence, that language, that immorality, uh, even, if, if, even if it's just inferred, it's not good for you. The materialism, the love of this world, be free from it. You're, you're from another world. You live from heaven to earth. You're an alien and a stranger, Hebrews 11. We're just pilgrims passing through. So I'm, like, I'm on a journey. I'm like, okay, make it as narrow as you like. I want to walk with the Holy Spirit. So I will reorder my life to honor the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, so be filled. Secondly, reorder, reorientate your life to make Holy Spirit choices. Thirdly, be led by the Spirit. What does that mean? That means may, the, the leadership of the Spirit throughout the day. And for me, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, I think Romans 8, 14 says it, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. So sometimes the Lord will just tell me, just text so-and-so. Just uh, ring this person. Today, fast. Don't eat today, fast today. Uh, other times he'll say something to me like, I don't know, it could be anything, but it's the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It, he's alive, he's real, he's in you, and he'll give you direction throughout the day as to what you ought to do. Just like if Jesus was with you and said, hey, today we're going over here. I mean, it is the most exciting adventure of your life to be led by the Holy Spirit. The more you listen to his voice and the more you obey, the more dynamic the relationship becomes. You're filled with him. You now reorder your life to live a holy life, to honor him, and his presence in you grows. It's really Romans 8 where it says, set your mind on what the Spirit desires. And then you're in the leadership of the Spirit, which is you're looking for his promptings and leadings every day. And then the last thing is, is to allow the life of the Spirit to grow in you. It's living in the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit's life. It, it's Romans 8, 11. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now in you and quickens you. It's Peter's shadow healing the sick. It's, it, it's uh, Paul touching handkerchiefs. And the, How do you grow in that life of the Spirit? I think it is that verse in Romans 8. Read the whole of Romans 8. It's powerful. Reread it, reread it. I, I memorized it when I was about 16 years old, and I feel like I need to go back and memorize it again. It's full of revelation. You know, that you are a person now in Christ, and you need to set your mind on what Christ, what the Spirit desires. You set your mind, you fill your mind. Here's the truth the more you feed on what honors the Holy Spirit, the more you grow in the life of the Spirit. There's, there's two opposite thoughts here in Romans 8. One says, for the mind controlled by the flesh is death. It's hostile to God. And the mind controlled or set on what the Spirit desires is life and peace. If you want to grow in the life and the peace, you set your mind on what the Spirit desires. There's a correlation between how much you feed on what God wants and how much you grow in the life of the Spirit, which is where God's Word comes into it, meditating on, chewing on, reading God's Word. I know it sounds extreme. It's not extreme, or maybe it is. 
It's actually just what Christians were always called to do. They're from another world. They're aliens and strangers. They've been bought at a price. They're overwhelmed with gratitude to the Father. They are filled with the Spirit. And their whole life is now caught up meditating and thinking about what God wants. They reorder their lives to honor Him. And if we do that, what you read about in the book of Acts can be yours. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, we, we say this. We call it the grace back home. I don't know if you say it over here in America. Um, it's just uh, this uh, simple scripture. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We often say now and forevermore. I, I know I know the love of God, the grace of Jesus. Do I know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you, then hand back to Pastor Lawrence for a moment. Is that helpful? I want to invite you onto a journey today of fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, knowing the Holy Spirit. There are people who are supposed to be walking in the miraculous. There is a new level of peace for you to live in. There is a new dimension of revelation available for you. And it all comes by the divine life of Christ in you through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, reordering your life to honor the Holy Spirit, leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then growing in the presence of the Holy Spirit by feeding on God's Word and meditating on what He has for us. So if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, even where you are right now, just raise your hands. Or if you want a fresh infilling, because you can be filled many times, just raise your hands and let's just ask, Holy Spirit, would you come through this room and would you fill people with the Spirit of the living God? Holy Spirit, come right now. I thank you that faith has been raised, truth has been preached. If you need to repent of any sin, do it. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. That's over. I just want to be clean before you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come through this room and just fill people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You can just whisper it, say, Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit right now. Thank you. Father, I pray for new experiences in the coming 24 hours, seven days. I pray that we would keep hungering and thirsting for you. I pray that there'd be a longing. I pray that men and women, young, young men and women, children, will pray for each other to receive the Holy Spirit and be filled all over again afresh. And that they would encounter God in a new dimension. I pray that there'd be a holy provocation in our hearts saying there has to be more. And I pray that the challenge of reading the book of Acts this week would be taken up by many here. And as they read, even as they read, they'd be filled afresh. I pray that they would see the calling of God upon their lives. In Jesus' name.
Amen. I know our time has gone, but I tell you, just you could even ask somebody, as, after we close, just lay hands on me, pray for me. I think there's something about laying hands on people. Esther and I are around. We're not, in, we're not running off every, anywhere. So if anybody wants prayer, we'll pray for you uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure any of the elders and leaders are willing to do the same. Pastor Lawrence. Don't just give in to the rush of the schedule. Just a really healthy moment. Father, we long to know you more intimately. We long to walk in the confidence that comes from the affirmation of our Heavenly Father that we are fully known and we are fully loved. We long to walk in a revelation of Christ, understanding the love of Jesus that didn't love us back, but you loved us first. And our response to that love begins to determine your reach. We long to understand the wellspring of life by the Spirit of God that exists within us by your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for the gifts of the Spirit. I thank you for the supernatural function of the Holy Spirit in our lives, giving us thoughts of God, the mind of Christ, as we respond to you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you'll watch the... Um, Watch our social media this week. I'll make sure to put the four messages on the Holy Spirit this past year that we brought for our church family. I feel it's a significant uh, season for us to explore and understand the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe it's also important that you hear me say as your pastor, all we want to do is explore what the Word of God has to say. I don't really care what background conclusions have been. Uh, I really want to just explore what God's Word wants, has to reveal. And, and one of those things is that we understand the gifts of the Spirit. We talk all the time about hearing the voice of the Lord and sensing the direction of God. And, uh, but those, the gifts of the Spirit, those manifest gifts of the Spirit are in operation and function in our lives. There's only one gift that the Bible actually says is for edification of one's self. And it's not the gift of tongues and interpretation, but it's a self uh, prayer language. Jude chapter 1 just says, build yourself up in the most holy faith. I was in a meeting, early morning meeting this past week, and Lauren Fulford, uh, just in the midst of it, she, she just raised her hand. She said, could I share a, a testimony just about how she was filled with the Holy Spirit and how you know, walking through an understanding of what that really means and looks like. And I just encourage you, come on, let's explore everything God has in store for our lives.
There's not, he, he wouldn't want one person to have a gift of self-edification and not give that to another because he's not a respecter of persons. And so there is a distinction. There's salvation and there's a filling of the Holy Spirit. And then there's a functioning of those gifts and there's a prayer language that's a, a self-edifying prayer language. And um, in the world we live in, sometimes we feel like, you know, intellectuals can't buy into those types of things. Uh, but I just want you to know God's not afraid of of the way we think or the questions we have. He just wants to fill us with the Spirit to overflowing. And I, I, I was thinking about this because Steve and Esther have been in our home now. You know, that's when they come, we host them in our home. I mean, you know, hearing kind of the lifestyle. Um, how many of you are glad that they don't come to your house and see if your TV's on? Or, I mean, when they're, when they're coming to our house, I, of course, set up the typical three prayer and communion stations in various rooms of the house and have my Bible open and, and a book burning ones is always by my Bible, the book that Steve's written. Um, but I just was, I was thinking about that could be challenging, you know, in some of our paradigm, but why is that challenging when the Holy Spirit's in our house every day of the week? So let's just pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's desiring to reveal. So I want us to go into just a little bit of worship as is our practice as we conclude. We've, we have our action point. We bring God's presence to real life by declaring an action point. This week, let's read the book of Acts out loud and press into all God desires. But as we worship, just for a few moments before we close, I want to ask, I, I want to ask you to give. And let's bless, I mean, they've been here serving all weekend long. Here's the thing. Uh, we met with a small group of pastors yesterday for a lunch meeting, and, and Steve and Esther were just talking a little bit about some of the work in India and how there's a church there of 25,000 people that's been pleading with them to come and speak. I mean, you know, a church of 25,000 people could give you a pretty substantial offering for coming and ministering there. And they've been pleading, will you come? Will you come? We need you to come. We need you to come. And the reason he has not accepted that invitation is because the way it's being built, there's a structure that is not uh, plurality and, and community, and it's a structure that's uh, focusing in on an individual that's trying to lead the charge and build a certain expression that's not necessarily the expression of the kingdom. And so we're all trying to sort through what this looks like, but it just caught my attention as he was sharing a little bit of that yesterday. Rather than speaking to 25,000 people, when he's in India, he's speaking to groups of 30 and 40 leaders. And I, I just say, he's really not interested in our providing some big offering. It's just the right thing for us to do, for us. And so I just want to encourage you as we just worship, find the giving station and, and let's give specifically to bless their ministry and expand the network, not just of what they're doing in their multi-site of churches, but an apostolic network. We just believe and are deeply convicted. And, and the same with me. We had the conversation last night, and he was asking, why are you interested in partnering in this? And we, Tracy and I, have just resolved there, there are other platforms that God has given us in England, and, and it's nothing against any of those other platforms. It's just this is the assignment. So we've stepped away from those platforms to fulfill the assignment. How many know there's an assignment? I am deeply convicted that we will find and discover and walk out our assignment 100%. I had somebody this last week come to me in the church and said, you know, I'm retired, I'm doing well, 
and, and I, I feel like the Lord is saying that I'm to go back to work. I can probably make $100,000 in the next year. And with all of the talk we're having of societal transformation, points of impact, Leadership Institute, this person said to me, I think I'll make $100,000 and I'm just committing to give 50% of it to what God wants to do in our community, in our city, and through the life of this church. And I want to say that is really wonderful, but I'm not moved by that either. You do what God is asking you to do. (laughs) And let's just honor him with our giving, with our serving, with our loving, with everything that we are. Come on, would you just, everything that we are, Holy Spirit, we want you to dwell in our house because you so dwell in our heart. And as we just bring our worship and our sacrifice before you as an expression in these few moments, Lord, we do so just engaging on a level. This is everything you desire. May we possess. May we press in on May we do, as Paul said, take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Take hold of everything for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Activate that. Awaken that within us, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name.